Hello, so this is an EPIPS um, podcast on Wilms Tumour and today we've got with us Mr Bruce Akoya who's a paediatric surgeon at St George's Hospital in London and he has a subspecialty interest in oncology surgery working closely with the Marsden Hospital in managing children with solid tumour malignancies. Hello Mr Akoya. Hello Kate. So the first question is, a two-year-old boy presents with a right abdominal mass on an ultrasound scan, and it says in the report that this is possibly arising from the kidney. What are your differential diagnoses going through your head, and what are you interested in from the history and the examination, and what would your next management steps be? So with a renal mass, um, especially in a two-year-old child, obviously top of the list would be a worm's tumour or nephroblastoma, but, uh, of course, it could be other renal tumours like a rhabdoid tumour or a clear cell sarcoma. Mesoblastic nephroma is very unlikely in a child at this age. You'd expect to see that in a neonate. Um, it could also be a renal cell carcinoma, but in this age group that also would be extremely rare. Uh, so you'd want to obviously examine the child. It's really important to check the blood pressure because sometimes that could be markedly raised. Um, and you want to look for any stigmata or any uh, associated syndromes like Beckwith-Bidman or um, aniridia or hemihypertrophy. So you, you have a renal, um, you have an ultrasound scan which shows there's a renal mass. So what you then need to do is um, involve your oncology colleagues. It's really important. And they will probably have a long list of investigations that they may want you to do. If it's quite clear from the ultrasound that this is a renal mass and actually apart from general tests of well-being, like full blood count, electrolytes, etc., um, you shouldn't need to do many more tests, such as urinary catecholamines, which would point you towards a neuroblastoma, for example, um, or an LDH, which would point towards a lymphoma, or tumor markers such as alpha-fetoprotein or beta-HCG, which would suggest a germ cell tumor. So, um, and then you would then be, in, in all likelihood, wanting cross-sectional imaging. What sort of cross-sectional imaging um, would you prefer and what about the imaging would make it likely to be a Wilms tumour? What other features are you looking at and interested in on the imaging? I personally prefer a, a CT scan uh, but it is becoming more popular these days to perform an MRI scan certainly on the umbrella protocol which is the current SIOP um, sponsored study. Um, MRIs are recommended um, first cross-sectional imaging. Um, on the cross-sectional imaging, uh, the, the advantage of a CT scan to me is that you can also have some idea of renal function, um, but specifically you are confirming that the tumour is arising from the kidney um, and you also want to examine the other side of the kidney to see whether there are any other lesions there. Um, and obviously you want to look for vascular invasion, spread of the tumour of, of the renal veins and the IVC, as well as any possible involvement of other organs like the liver. I think you've covered this in part already, um, but what's the current UK approach to biopsy for a suspected Wilms? And what would make you suspicious um, of a rhabdoid, a mesoblastic nephroma, a clear cell or renal cell um, carcinoma? So we have uh, changed our protocols recently in the UK. In the past, we used to biopsy every tumour uh, in order to rule out differential diagnoses, as you've mentioned. 
But of course, these only occur about 5% of the time. And um, a lot of these tumours uh, would respond to initial Wilms tumour therapy or would not really respond to anything at all. So uh, the advantage of a biopsy um, is, has become less obvious with time. We've now moved to only biopsying tumours in children over the age of 10, uh, just in case it's a renal cell carcinoma. So if we are satisfied on cross-sectional imaging that the tumour is um, looks like a Wilms tumour, in other words, is arising from the kidney, has the typical claw um, deformity, which ascends, in essence is a renal capsule spreading around the tumour, then uh, we do not, uh, we would not go ahead to biopsy in the UK anymore. In terms of the other differential diagnoses, they are very difficult to differentiate on um, on uh, on cross-sectional imaging. The rhabdoid tumours tend to show a lot more hemorrhage and cystic areas than the worms. Mesoblastic nephroma would would not would essentially is a tumour within the first six months of life that they usually picked up. Um, and um, the other lesions are less are less easy to distinguish on imaging. So if um, you do have a slightly atypical tumour and a biopsy is indicated, what is the best practice for obtaining tissue? So the gold standard, at least in the UK, is um, ultrasound-guided true-cut core biopsy using a 14 or 16-gauge needle. Uh, and that can either be performed by the interventional radiologist or by... Um, the paediatric surgeon with the help of an interventional radiologist. Open biopsy specifically is contraindicated in children with renal tumours because if you do an open biopsy, you automatically upstage the tumour from a stage 2 to stage 3. So, is neoadjuvant chemotherapy always indicated? And if so, why are there different um, chemotherapy regimes? Neoadjuvant chemotherapy is always indicated except in infantile tumours with a mesoblastic nephroma, in which case primary resection is all that you need. Um, but if you think that it's a Wilms tumour, then neoadjuvant chemotherapy is definitely always indicated because it's uh, pre prior to surgery um, because uh, it results in shrinkage of the tumour and um, less likelihood of tumour rupture upstaging to stage 3 during uh, resection. But the children also need post-operative uh, chemotherapy. We usually start with two drugs, vincristine and actinomycin D. Um, if it is a stage 4 tumour with uh, lung metastases, then we need to move on to three-drug therapy, introducing doxorubicin, which uh, unfortunately is a bit cardiotoxic. Um, we used to use that for stage 3 disease, but we don't uh, do that anymore. Uh, for bilateral Wilms tumour, uh, uh, which can be quite difficult to diagnose, but if it is clearly bilateral Wilms tumour, um, then the aim of treatment ultimately is bilateral nephron-sparing surgery. So you want to start with uh, six weeks of two-drug chemotherapy and reassess after six weeks. And um, if there's still, uh, if, if bilateral renal-sparing surgery is not deemed to be uh, possible at that stage, then it is you can carry on with chemotherapy for a further six weeks and reassess at that stage. But there is no evidence that um, further chemotherapy beyond that point results in any further improvement in the tumour. Um, so when you reassess the tumour prior to surgery, what are you looking at with the cross-section imaging? Um, if there is an IVC extension or tumour thrombus, when would you refer to a centre that had 
bypass capabilities. So after four weeks of chemotherapy, when you are assessing resectability, um, essentially you want to see whether the tumour has shrunk and if um, there was invasion or extension of the tumour up the renal vessels or inferior vena cava, you want to see that there's been a response for that. But actually, in practice, um, if a tumour hasn't responded to four weeks of chemotherapy, there's good evidence that it, it actually doesn't respond to further chemotherapy because they're usually um, epithelial uh, or stroma-rich tumours which don't tend to respond uh, that well to chemotherapy. If you have um, tumor thrombus extending just into the renal vein, then uh, any center which does pediatric oncology should be able to, uh, through a venotomy, um, remove the tumor. And really, um, any tumor extending up until the, um, the hepatic veins, uh, below the level of the hepatic veins, it, the, the important consideration is whether you can get control of the of the veins above the the tumor or not and so if it is extending to just below the hepatic veins most competent oncology surgeons will be able to deal with it at that level but once you get to the level of the hepatic veins or above the hepatic veins then you need to involve um, a hepatobiliary surgeon um, and usually in that situation um, if it is just extending just into the right atrium or into the right atrium you do need to refer to a centre that has cardiac bypass uh, and cardiac surgery um, to uh, complete the resection of the tumour. Please could you kindly explain your stepwise approach to a Wilms nephrectomy and what can make the surgery challenging? The approach to a Wilms nephrectomy is fairly standard. Um, most surgeons would perform it um, using open surgery as opposed to minimally invasive surgery, but I'm sure you will ask me about that later, um, through a transverse upper abdominal incision, uh, the colon is reflected to expose the retroperitoneum, and on the left side, um, sometimes that also involves mobilizing the spleen. Uh, the tumor is exposed, and then uh, you seek to uh, dissect out the renal hilum with an intention to ligate the renal artery first, and that can be uh, double ligated or ligated and transfixed, depending on your preference. Um, and then you want to uh, ligate and divide the renal artery, vein, and ureter. Uh, you want to divide the ureter as low down in the pelvis as possible, um, and then proceed to dissect out the kidney and separate it from adjacent structures. Sometimes on the right side it is um, quite adherent to the liver and sometimes um, a sliver of hepatic tissue has to be removed along with the kidney. In um, very difficult cases the tumour might be very um, inseparable from colon or spleen. Rarely the spleen needs to be removed but that's extremely rare and should be avo avoidable. In extreme cases, uh, bits of, in, of colon may have to be resected along with the tumour, but again, this is quite unusual. With most lower pole tumours, then it is um, possible to preserve the adrenal gland, and where possible, both adrenal glands should be preserved. Um, and also with some upper pole tumours, it is also possible, but where the 
adrenal gland is very splayed out um, along the tumour, uh, then this is neither feasible nor sensible because you certainly do not want to uh, leave yourself with residual microscopic tumour. Where do you try and obtain your lymph nodes from and how many do you aim to get? The umbrella protocol, which is a protocol we are currently uh, following in the UK, recommends at least seven lymph nodes. Um, and ideally you want to get lymph nodes on either side of the IBC if you're on the right or either side of the aorta if you're on the left, uh, as well as uh, lymph nodes from above and below the renal hilum. Um, in practice, this is not always possible. Um, sometimes uh, you cannot actually find more than three or four lymph nodes, but it's important to get as many as you safely can. Um, but also it's important to remember that there are lymph nodes taken along with the renal hilum as well, which if the pathologists are aware of, um, could contribute to that uh, total recommended number of lymph nodes. Obviously it's important to get lymph nodes because if you have positive lymph nodes, that means you have stage 3 disease, which uh, has an implication for your treatment because you will then need flank radiotherapy in addition to the uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So if you're in a situation where you're suspecting that you potentially have a bilateral Wilms, um, how can you possibly tell the difference between a bilateral Wilms and someone with um, nephrogenic rests? That is quite a, that can be quite a challenge, uh, quite difficult to make that uh, distinction. Um, a significant number of normal babies have nephrogenic rests. Um, and uh, the difference between nephrogenic rests and another condition called nephroblastomatosis um, is quite, um, is, is really quite difficult to make, but they're both considered to be precursors to Wilms tumor. And so what to do when you have uh, nephrogenic rests or nephroblastomatosis is difficult. About 40% of um, unilateral Wilms tumors, when you take them out, will have nephrogenic rests um, within the tumor. And so uh, in that situation where you're doing a unilateral nephrectomy, it is possible that there are nephrogenic rests on the other side, which you cannot see. So the situation we're often faced with is when you have tumors that have multiple lesions, of which of varying sizes, um, of which the diagnosis is unclear. Uh, one approach would be to do a biopsy of the biggest lesion or the suspicious lesion because you're trying to find a Wilms tumour. Um, so you can do that using the, uh, the ultrasound guided true cut as I've mentioned before. But it's very important to understand that it is almost impossible to distinguish between Wilms tumour and nephrogenic rests or nephroblastomatosis based on histology alone. It's almost impossible to, to tell which is which. And so often a very good test is actually the response to chemotherapy. And so when you have multiple lesions on both kidneys, um, there is some evidence that if you treat them with, uh, with chemotherapy, um, you get you can get significant response in some of the lesions. And the more response you have, uh, the more likely that perhaps you were dealing with a Wilms tumor uh, in the first place. Um, and so much like bilateral um, 
wounds you aim for bilateral renal sparing surgery uh, where possible following chemotherapy. So could you kindly explain your preoperative and operative approach to nephron sparing surgery? What are your absolute contraindications? And when do you feel it potentially may be indicated in the setting of a unilateral Wilms tumour? So I'll take your last question first. Uh, the, the, um, the concept of unilateral, uh, of nephron sparing surgery in unilateral disease is slightly controversial. You could argue that with a disease that has an over 95% survival with a well-established uh, treatment that um, it, it would seem a bit uh, a bit risky to perform partial nephrectomy. Um, they, those who argue for nephron sparing surgery in unilateral disease quote papers where there is um, shown to be a decrease in renal function compared to normal individuals in patients who've had uh, a nephrectomy in the past. But um, these very rarely reach clinical significance, and there are other studies which show no significant deterioration. Be that as, as it may, uh, it has become very popular, especially on the continent, to perform nephron sparing surgery for unilateral disease. Um, a recent study using patients from the SIOP 2001 study show, showed that um, in patients who had partial nephrectomy for unilateral disease, there was definitely an increased number of patients who were stage three um, because of positive margins, which means that those patients ended up with flank radiotherapy, although the overall survival was not uh, affected. And so the benefits of renal preservation had to be weighed against the extra um, burden of therapy that these children had. So it's, it's strictly speaking, Still quite up in the air. Um, the there are protocol, there are um, guidelines within the umbrella protocol which permit you to do nephron spraying surgery, provided the tumor occupies, for example, uh, less than a third of the kidney, and provided you're able to leave behind uh, up to sixty percent of normal renal uh, parenchyma, uh, and of course you need to have clear margins. So there are guidelines within the umbrella protocol that allow you to perform nephron sparing surgery should you wish to do so. Clearly, if you have a large tumour involving the hilum or where it is unlikely that you will be able to get positive margins, uh, it would not seem to be a very sensible thing to do. So if you were going to do nephron sparing surgery, which, which um, in my view at the present time probably should be for bilateral disease, then obviously you want to have really good imaging. That's really important. Um, and uh, ideally, if you have the facilities to have MR angiogram with 3D reconstruction, then that would be that really would be the ideal sort of imaging or any other form of three-dimensional imaging that it is te technologically possible to acquire um, so that you can plan your surgery adequately. Um, you also need some functional studies, you need an idea of 
the relative function of each kidney, which often is not that useful because actually um, even tumours with kidneys with significant tumours in them actually contribute at least their share of the function. So it's not, uh, but it's good to have a baseline uh, so that you know what residual renal function you have left. And then when you have your um, when you have your anatomy um, delineated, then you can plan your surgery. In terms of the operative approach, um, the approach would be as described before for a unilateral kidney, unilateral tumor, you resect, resect the colon and get access to the retroperitoneum. Obviously, you need to go into Gerotta's fascia, whereas for a complete nephrectomy, you try and stay outside. Um, it makes sense to get control of the hilum, uh, sling the vessel and the, the vein and artery. Um, although some people don't actually do that, um, uh, in cases where the in in cases where the the um, tumor is visible on the surface of the kidney, which is often the case, then usually you can just by squeezing the the normal parenchyma, you can achieve hemostasis just by squeezing the parenchyma, and then um, you can uh, remove the tumor with um, high energy monopolar diathermy or bipolar diathermy. Um, and having removed the tumour, you can then um, uh, go ahead and achieve hemostasis of the rest of the uh, parenchyma. In some cases, the tumour is not, especially where there's more than one lesion, perhaps on the contralateral side, where the tumour is not very obvious on the surface, then intraoperative ultrasound can be a very useful tool to help locate the uh, tumour and, uh, and resect it. If you have... Um, a bilateral tumour and you're going to go ahead with um, partial or bilateral nephrectomies, which side would you do first? So it's important first of all to understand or have an idea what the relative function of both kidneys is. Usually there's actually quite symmetrical function of the kidneys even if the one tumour might be bigger than the other. Um, some centres will do both kidneys at the same time. Uh, so you may have one uh, a large tumour on one side, a smaller tumour on the other side, or one side that needs a nephrectomy and the other side which doesn't and needs a partial nephrectomy. Some people will, would operate on both kidneys at the same time. Some people will choose to operate on the worst side first so that uh, they um, can make an assessment how much functional residual tissue they have before they operate on the other side. And some people would op operate on the lesser side first. I don't think there's any hard and fast rule. Okay, so in the more straightforward situation, this two-year-old boy underwent a right nephrectomy. The tumour was completely excised, although it had spread into the perinephric fat. All nodes came back as negative. The histology revealed a stromal type with greater than 66 necrosis. 66% necrosis, and it was classified as a stage 2 intermediate risk tumour. He went on to receive 27 weeks of vincristine actinomycin D post-resection, but unfortunately on, on follow-up imaging he had a local relapse. What would your management plan be then? So the management of local relapse ultimately is, um, is 
to if that is the only site of um, of relapse, then clearly that needs to be removed. And if it is surgically resectable, then that is the preferred option. If it's not immediately surgically resectable, then chemotherapy um, followed by surgical resection is indicated. So when a patient is found to have pulmonary metastases at presentation, what management algorithm do you follow? And what is when is pulmonary surgery indicated? And is there a survival benefit? And any tricks that you've learnt um, to localise the suspected metastases? Uh, so for metastatic stage 4 disease, um, the treatment needs to be modified. So instead of two drugs, there's just been Christine and Actinomycin D, you also get doxorubicin added. Um, and then you treat for six weeks rather than four weeks, and the patient is then reassessed at that stage. Uh, there may or may not have been significant improvement in the primary tumour, but usually at that stage, um, uh, nephrectomy for the primary site is carried out. And then the question remains what to do with the pulmonary metastases. Uh, generally, if the uh, tumour metastases are potentially resectable at that stage, then they can be removed, either at the time of primary nephrectomy or a couple of weeks later if you want to give the patient a chance to recover. Um, the survival benefit of metastatectomy is not entirely clear, but if you have completely necrotic tumour within your biopsy, then you can avoid radiotherapy, whereas if there's still viable tumour at that stage, patients will need to undergo radiotherapy. If the tumours are not resectable, then further chemotherapy can be given uh, and reassessment at 10 weeks. Um, and if uh, the lesions are still there, radiotherapy would then be indicated at that stage. So thank you so much for all your um, answers. But in, um, are there anything you want to say as a take-home point or any thoughts on the future of Wilms surgery and potential role of um, or concerns that you have regarding laparoscopy? I think that Wilms tumour is um, one of those tumours that we're fortunate to say have a very good prognosis, um, well in excess of 85-90%. And so the most of the work really going forward depends on having reduced morbidity from treatment and, and addressing the tumours that have very poor prognosis, like the rhabdoid tumours and the clear cell sarcomas, um, and also an improved use of biological markers um, in terms of assessing prognosis and deciding which children, for example, who may have intermediate or stage 3 disease, who, who may or may not require further adjuvant treatment depending on their biological markers. So I think that's where the, the future lies. In terms of minimally invasive surgery, as long as the principles, the same principles are observed, complete microscopic clearance, adequate lymph node sampling, safety, um, then uh, certainly I'm sure that the role for minimally invasive surgery will continue to grow uh, for more and more patients. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mr. Ikoya, and we look forward to hearing you on our next instalment of EPICS. You're welcome, Kate. You're welcome, Kate. You're welcome, Kate. You're welcome, Kate.